Heavenly Father, we thank you for this study, Lord, and I just ask that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit. Give me the gift of teaching. We just pray as we go through this that it could be uh, understandable to us and something that we can apply to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So today we're studying 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7, if you want to turn there. It's seven short verses, yet there is so much to learn. And I told my husband the topic was on these verses and that I had a few questions for him. And he said, after 40 years of not getting it right, you expect me to teach it to you in a half hour? (laughs) So, but really, he was joking, I think. So... Obviously, I don't have it all together, even after 40 years. So we've grown and we've learned through the years, but the best thing is to take it back to the Word. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. And hopefully the scenarios going on in your mind will be clarified as we go through the Word. So this is a big subject, and I'm not going to be able to do it complete justice, but your group time is going to add to that. So before we read our verses, I want to say if you are married and your husband is leading your home spiritually, your job is much easier. However, if you have an unbelieving husband or a husband not leading as he should, life may be more difficult for you in this submission area. And we all have areas, whether our husband's leading well or not, because we have that human flesh. If you're single, divorced, or widowed, you may need these principles later in life, or you may use them to mentor someone else down the road. And ultimately, Ultimately, for all of us, this lesson on submission should take us back to submission to Christ, first and foremost. So let's go to 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7. Let's read it through. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives. When they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear, do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. And so as we look at these verses, there's many things we can discuss. Submission, husbands who do not obey the word, our chaste conduct coupled by fear or respect for the Lord, our adornment, the hidden person of the heart, the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, looking at how women in former times were submissive to their husbands and how they adorned themselves. And the example of Sarah that was pointed out lastly, we see the instructions for husbands. So there is a lot of groundwork to lay first for these verses. So bear with me. I just want to go over a couple things. God created the world to have order and to be orderly. And we find that in Genesis. We're not going to go all the way back to that. But he created woman to be a helpmate to man, so not inferior to him. And we see that in Genesis 2. Um, You can look at 18 to 25, but I'm just going to read one of the verses. And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. 
And then we see that he designed order for the home. Titus 2, 3 through 5, the older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanders, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. So that the word of God would not be spoken evil of. We don't want people to speak evil of the word of God. So we are a representation of the word of God. And there are positions in life, we all know that. It doesn't mean that somebody's better than someone else because of that position. It's not inferior. There's policemen, and they have they try to keep order, and when they pull you over, you're under their submission. But that doesn't mean that they are better than you in any way. And it's the same with a marriage. It's positions. So... Um, we see there are positions, but with human, within the human heart, we know there's a struggle of the flesh in those positions because nobody likes to be told what to do or how to, to be under somebody. So Genesis 3.16 says, To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. So this verse shows us the contrast between the woman's desire and the husband's role over her. This speaks of the challenge we as women can have in embracing the husband's role of the leader of the home and family. This same word for desire is used in Genesis 4, 7, the desire of sin to have mastery over Cain. Because of the curse, Eve would have to fight a desire to master her husband and a desire that works against God's ordained order for the home. And so we have that same struggle. The longing for the position the husband has is a distortion of the servant leadership modeled in Christ. And I'm going to repeat that. The longing for the position the husband has is a distortion of the servant leadership modeled in Christ. So the flesh wages war within us. The spiritual struggle can only be conquered through the power of the Holy Spirit. So let's go to verse 1. Wives, likewise be submissive to your own husbands. And so likewise, proper submission in the home follows the same principles of submission that we learned in the past in 1 Peter. We learned about government and employees and employers and all those roles of submission before the break. So obviously the goal of submission is not only of the actions, but of the heart, as demonstrated by the surrendered heart of Jesus. First Peter two, twenty one through twenty three says, For this to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled did not revile in return, when he suffered he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. Obviously, we're not going to be perfect, but he is our example. And in submission to our husbands or to any authority in our lives, may our hearts be right first and foremost as his, as his was. May we learn to not return evil for evil. And sometimes in a marriage relationship, we can want to do that if things aren't going well. In 1 Peter 3, 9, which we're going to go over next time, but in the New Living Translation, 
It says, don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do, and he will bless you for it. So the definition of submission is to arrange under, to put in subjection, to obey, to submit to one's control, to yield to one's admonition or advice. And Warren Wisby says, headship is not dictatorship but the loving exercise of divine authority under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And so obviously if it's being done right, it's not a dictatorship. So we're going to look at Ephesians 5.21 and some of those verses through 33 if you'd like to turn. So Ephesians 5.21 says, Submitting to one another in the fear of God. And so here is the ideal, submitting one to another, both of you, together in the fear of God. And as we go further, we'll see their roles are clearly laid out. And so it's about order. Ephesians 5.22, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So, There's where our example comes from. That's the ideal. We all don't always live in the ideal. But we're not to get our example of submission or relationships, for that matter, from the world, from Instagram, from Facebook. We're not supposed to get it from there. And I think we all kind of saw that this past summer, the illusion with that gal that was murdered and then her husband took his life, Gabby Petito. I don't know if you guys followed that. But it was horrible. On Instagram, everything looked wonderful. They went away together and all the pictures were like of just this wonderful trip they were having together. And it ended in disaster with both of them dead. And so we cannot get our, you know, focus on what's out there because a lot of it is lies. And so we got to get it from the word of God. So um, the world makes things look great. But there are consequences always to not following God's guidance and God's order. Submission in marriage follows the same principles as submission in other spheres of our lives. We submit to God-appointed authority as our obligation before God, unless that authority directs us to sin. And in that case, it is right to obey God rather than men. In Acts, when Peter and the apostles were told not to share Christ— This is how they answered in Acts 5.29. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. So we can follow this same principle in marriage. We are not to do anything ungodly just because our husband is asking us to do it. And the Lord is our ultimate headship. 
And I think we all know what is ungodly and what is not. And if you have questions or concerns about your marriage role, please see your leader or myself, and we would gladly help you go to the Word and pray with you. On the other hand, for instance, there are other scenarios in life that are not um, moral issues. For instance, maybe he wants you to move to Minnesota, and you do not. And he has good reasons. He feels it's in the best interest of the family. He's got a job, all that stuff. Um, Then you need to go. You need to allow your husband to lead the family in these areas. And how? The rest of the verse tells us how. Verse 1, that even if some do not obey the word, they, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Now, this husband in this verse is, he may be an unbeliever or he may just not be obeying the word. Unfortunately, that does happen. In these verses, Peter is not addressing the ideal as Paul did in Ephesians. The ideal being having a God fearing husband, a sold out believing husband, where each one can perform their roles because each one, including yourself, are submitted to Christ. And it still won't be perfect, even doing that, because we're human. A wife's submission is a powerful expression of her trust in God. And I think this is very key here, trust. The characteristics of a godly wife, or woman for that matter, can be many, and we're going to talk about those, but I think they all tear downward from trust being at the top of that tier. Trust in the Lord being the key, not in man. And this kind of faith and obedience can accomplish great things, even without a word. And that's the title of our teaching. Peter reminds them that God's plan is that wives impact their husbands not through persuasive lectures, but through godly submission, pure lifestyle, and the fear of God, ultimately trust in him. So without a word is very difficult for us as women. We have much to say. (laughs) Women use an average of 20,000 words per day compared to the mere 7,000 that men may say. I don't even know if they get up there sometimes. I have our youngest son, whenever I text him, he just sends a meme back or whatever that's called. So he never gives us me his own words. It's just a picture, you know, like he sends me this thing. I asked him if something would work and he sends me a Trump picture that says, there's Trump saying, sounds good won't work, you know, and that's what I get. I always get a meme for everything. So anyways, I don't think he does 7,000 of his own words. But men usually like the bottom line, at least my husband does. And although this is our title in our workbook, focusing on that phrase without a word, it doesn't mean that we never talk or we don't give our input to have our say in the affairs of the household. It's evaluating our words. Many times we need not say a word. Many times we talk too much. And, so, and I have to read my husband. I know when he wants the short version. And sometimes you just have to say, do you want the short version? Yes, give me the bottom line, you know? So Proverbs twenty-five eleven: a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. Ephesians four fifteen: but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. So many times our words are used to manipulate. Manipulation to try to get them to attend church, to listen to a teaching, or do anything that we want them to do usually does not work 
for the long haul. Our attitude speaks louder than words. Our pure way of living and acting, being as polite and kind to him as you are to others, will speak volumes. Our character and conduct will shine through. We need the fruit of the Holy Spirit, obviously, found in Galatians 5, 22 to 23. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and self-control. And sometimes we don't allow the Holy Spirit to fill us with that to give out to our husbands. And so we have to pray for that. And what a blessing the word here in First Peter says they may be won by the conduct of their wives. And when you look that up, it means one to salvation or to gain one faith in Christ, towards faith in Christ. So trust is key because we can then rely on trusting the Lord and not necessarily our husband who is only human. We must trust people, of course, but ultimately our trust is found in Christ. And that's what I say. I trust my husband as long as he is following Christ. I mean, then I can trust him if I know his focus is on Jesus. When submission is hard, we can then look past the human to the face of Christ. 1 Peter 3.3, 3, do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. So we see in verse 5 that in former times, the women adorned themselves with that hidden person of the heart, that incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which takes us back to without a word. And it takes us to trust once again. The older I get, the more I must trust the Lord and rely on my inner beauty and pray it shines forth because everything fades. Everything starts fading. And I've seen many women grow old, but the most beautiful ones are those who have a strong relationship to Christ. It shows through. And may we be those women. Peter did not forbid all adornment, but for the godly woman, outward adornment should always be in moderation, and her emphasis should always be on the inward adornment. Real beauty comes from the hidden person of the heart. And I read this and jotted it down because I thought it was great. It isn't something you wear or print before a mirror to have. It is something you are. I love that. It's not something you wear or print before a mirror to have. It is something you are. Inner beauty is incorruptible. This means that it does not decay or get worse with age. And yes, we can fight it. We can do our best. But um, we were watching a Christmas movie this Christmas with our grandson and my husband and our daughter. And Marie Osmond happened to be on a little piece of it. And I don't know if you guys know who she is, but she's my age and she looks amazing. So I was saying to my daughter, wow, look at her. And um, she's like, whoa. And um, I go, I think she's my age. And when I looked her up, she's 62. I'm almost 62. So um, our grandson said, she's your age? (laughs) She looks like she's 30. And I'm like, well, so we had a good talk on, you know, cosmetic surgery and outward appearance and the heart. And he had to, he didn't understand that because she looked like that, it didn't mean that she wasn't 62. Oh, she's still 62, even though she did all that? I'm like, yeah, she's still 62. She's still going to die. She still needs Jesus, you know. So it was a great learning thing, but it was interesting. But instead, incorruptible beauty only gets better with age. And 
is therefore of much greater value than the beauty that comes from the hair, jewelry, or clothing, or surgeries, which are very prevalent these days, even among those who haven't had much of a chance to age. I am seeing young, young women have surgeries even on their face, and I'm like, you don't, haven't even had time to age yet, so it, it's crazy. But... Um, Peter described the character of true beauty, a gentle and quiet spirit, and it is precious in the sight of God. So we're going to look at those words. Gentle means mildness of disposition, gentleness of spirit, and gentleness stems, once again, from trusting God. And the opposite of gentle is self-assertiveness and self-interest. Quiet does not mean you cannot share your thoughts or your input, it means tranquil. So that's peaceful and calm. And the opposite of quiet is loud, boisterous, argumentative, defiant. So we certainly have our say, but how do we have our say? So these attributes are precious in the Lord's sight. And I want to be precious in his sight, and I'm sure you all do too. I want to give glory to him. The rest fades, but our time with Jesus and sharing him with others is time well spent. I do not think on our deathbed we're going to say, gosh, I wish I had one more surgery or one more whatever, you know, but we're going to say, I wish I did more for Christ. That's what we're going to say. So Pastor Chuck Smith says this about true beauty. True beauty is that of the heart. Seek to develop an inward beauty. If you would spend as much time developing an inward beauty as you do developing an outward beauty, you would have greater benefits. It's amazing how your relationship with the Lord can affect your whole being, even your countenance. A relationship with Jesus becomes apparent. Inward beauty results in outward beauty. A life lived in purity and holiness leaves the mark of beauty on a person's countenance. And that's what he's, I wrote, read in his commentary. So as we go back to trust, we can see that a woman can trust her own ability to influence and control her husband, or she can trust God and be submissive. A woman can trust her outward beauty and adornment, or she can trust God and cultivate a gentle and quiet spirit. And it all comes back to trust in God. And so we should be like the holy women who trusted in God. So let's go to verse 6 and see if we can clarify some of the things we all may wonder about this verse. Uh, Verse 6, As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good, and are not afraid with any terror. So Lord is lowercase there. Um, It's a respectful term for master or sir. Aaron used this for Moses. It's a term of respect, and it's acknowledging the position. Nothing more. The words do good are there to remind us that true submission is an active embrace of God's will, demonstrating once again trust in him. Submission, true submission, full of faith, in God has no room for fear or terror. So if we're truly trusting the Lord, we have nothing to be afraid of. It does good, and it leaves the results to God and not to man. So now we're going to turn to Genesis 12 in your Bibles, 10 through 20, because we were told to read this to get the context of this verse here in Peter. So Genesis chapter 12, verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to dwell there, for the famine was severe in the land. And it came to pass, when he was close to entering Egypt, that he said to Sarai, his wife, 
I, indeed, I know that you are a woman of beautiful countenance. Therefore, it will happen when the Egyptians see you that they will say, this is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Please say you are my sister, that it may be well with me for your sake, and that I may live because of you. So it was when Abram came into Egypt that the Egyptians saw the woman, that she was very beautiful. The princes of Pharaoh also saw her and commended her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. He treated Abram well for her sake. He had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male and female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? I might have taken her as my wife. Now, therefore, here's your wife. Take her and go your way. So Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away and his wife and all that he had. So this time in Sarah's Life came back to trust in the Lord. She was in a time and culture that lended itself to men being the complete authority and sole way of having physical needs met regardless. That was the culture. She did not have the word of God to base her decisions on, though I'm sure she knew right from wrong. She did not have the whole counsel of God. Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible 600 years after she lived. She was Abram's, Abraham's half-sister, and in that culture, that was a true and valuable statement. However, we do know she was his wife. And I, I do not think this one verse in Peter suggests we lie or follow our husband if we know he is clearly in biblical error. We obey God rather than man. What we can learn from Sarah's submissive attitude, we can see she ultimately trusted the Lord in a time she was in a spot, so to think. And it doesn't mean that she made the right decisions, but she felt like she was in a spot. And God came through for her. So amidst our sin, amidst our poor choices, God is still God. And he sees and he cares and he can still move around our imperfections. The key is trust once again. And so there's a lot of different commentaries on that. You guys could do further study, but that's kind of what God gave me. So our last verse addresses the husband. Verse 7 in 1 Peter 3. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. So the part we can take from this is we are the weaker vessel. This means physically, and it's not always the case. There are some women that are physically stronger than their husbands, but overall, we're the weaker vessel. But the husband is to dwell with us with understanding and give honor to us. It doesn't mean he always does. So we're looking at what we're supposed to do. In this lesson, we're learning what we are to do. So once again, our lives go back to trusting in the Lord um, and where am I at? And knowing that our words cannot change our husband, our manipulations can't change him, and this goes for anyone else in our lives we truly want to change for the better. It could be our adult kids, our grandchildren. If I could just run their lives, it would go so much better. That's how I feel sometimes. But they, you can't manipulate them. You can't direct them necessarily. 
So as we see this verse addressed to husbands, we can see possibly that we may be blessed with a husband who does dwell with us with understanding, and that does give honor to us as the weaker vessel, lifting things for us, standing on the outside of the road as we walk to protect us from cars, making sure we're well, we're well taken care of. We went for a bike ride on New Year's Day, and you know we were out on Riggs Road and stuff, and my husband made sure that I was on the inside or in front of him, and he just is very good at doing all that. So if you have a husband that does that, you should really thank him, because it's so easy to take things for granted. So easy. And so thank him. We truly are heirs together, meaning if we are both believers, we have an inheritance in Christ in heaven. And as a husband is honoring Christ, it says that his prayers will not be hindered. So we should be praying with each other. That's the ideal. Doesn't always happen. But it does help us navigate so much in our lives. We should be praying, period, even if our husbands is not praying with us. Luke 18, 1 says that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. And so if you're going through a difficult time, pray and don't lose heart. Luke 21, 36 says, watch therefore and pray always. This is commanded to all of us. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 tells us to pray without ceasing. And so we could go on and on with a whole other topic in prayer, which we're not going to do, but suffice to say, we should all pray. Psalm 66.18 says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. So we see in 1 Peter that the husband's prayers can be hindered, but here we see if we regard iniquity in our heart, our prayers will be hindered. And so it goes both ways. It goes for each one of us. And so we need to examine ourselves and make sure we are right with the Lord. Ecclesiastes 4.12, though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. And so that's the ideal, you know, obviously Christ in the center of our marriage. But if you don't have that, then what do you do? You have to do your part. So let's keep our relationship with Christ where it needs to be. And yes, we want our husbands to be there also, but it's not our place to talk them to death about it and use all our 20,000 words just on him. So remember, without a word, and ultimately trust in the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this short time in the word, Lord, and I pray as we fellowship and eat and go to our small groups that we would be encouraged and blessed in our individual situations and that we would glean from one another and continue to learn about how to have that submissive attitude towards our husbands, but ultimately towards you. In Jesus' name, amen.